Welcome to Morning Soap. At Fusion Church, our desire is to see everyone attend church and hear from God daily through His Word. The Bible reveals God's responses to various situations, and through daily devotions, we can reshape our thought patterns, transform our minds, and become more Christ-like. Join us here every Monday through Friday as different pastors and leaders from Fusion Church provide insightful devotions and teachings based on the day's scripture. For the current SOAP reading plan, visit fusionchurch.cc soap and join us as we deepen our understanding and relationship with God. Happy Thanksgiving to my early birds uh, today. So um, we are in Second Chronicles chapter 4 today. And uh, I honestly, when I was first reading this, I was like, oh, this, this is, I feel like this is going to be kind of dry. And um, in the last 10 minutes, uh, God just really showed me some stuff. And so um, we're going to have a really good morning. We're going to have a really good morning. Um, God just really wanted wanted uh, all of us to kind of see some correlations in some things. And so we're going to see some really awesome stuff um, out of uh, these holy items um, that Solomon is is uh, putting together uh, for the temple. And so Second Chronicles chapter 4, uh, if you have a paper Bible, go ahead and get yourself there. Uh, it is 6 in the morning, so here we go. Um, good morning, everyone. Happy Thanksgiving. Um, and if my memory serves me right, I have done every soap Thanksgiving since we started recording soap. <laughs> so <laughs> I am your Thanksgiving guy today. <laughs> uh, I don't know. And, and even with uh, swapping with Harry every so often, even now, I still am doing Thanksgiving. And uh, you know what? I wouldn't have it any other way. I love doing it. Um so uh, Second Chronicles chapter four today, uh, that's where we are at. If you got your paper Bibles, go ahead and flip to that or digitally. Um, and then uh, we are going to have a wonderful uh, Thanksgiving edition of soap today. Um, but let's pray and then uh, we'll dive into the word. Uh, and man, I'm, I'm going to show you some stuff that I believe God has just downloaded to me, like literally in the last like 10 minutes right before this started. So uh, let's let's jump in um, to prayer here. You know, Father, today, as this is a day um, that many of us are coming together, maybe we're already at family members' houses, maybe we're already coming um, uh, or we're expecting family and friends to come to our place uh, today to fellowship together, to to gather and give thanks um, for all that we have, all the blessings uh, that you have bestowed on us, Lord. Um, the, the people around us that are a blessing, uh, the uh, maybe even the family members that sometimes we don't think that they're a blessing, but they really are, Lord. And so may, may uh, we just have uh, blessings over our food today. May we have uh, blessings over our conversations today. May we have blessings over our fellowship today with our friends and family as ultimately uh, may our minds always be towards giving you thanks because of all that we get to do and have, especially in this country where we are able to freely do this. And Lord, may we not take that for granted. 
Lord, I surrender myself to you as I normally do. Lord, this is your message. This is your word. Uh, Teach us all this morning. Teach us all on this podcast. And so that we may learn from you and take this not only for this special holiday, uh, but all of our other days throughout the year. In Jesus Christ's name, I pray. Amen and amen. All right. Get that little bit of coffee or whatever. I've just got a little left. And we're going to dive in. Okay. I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. The wonderful thing about this translation is that it puts it in, it puts a lot of the measurements that we're going to read already in um, converting that into uh, measurements that we're going to understand today. Uh, so if you're reading out of your other Bible and it says cubits, um, typically, if you just look at it it's from the tip of your finger to your elbow it, on an average scale, that was a cubit. Um and that was roughly two feet. <laughs> um, but you can kind of, I mean, some people's got a bigger arm than others. And so that's why we've gone to something a little bit more rigid. Um, but hey, that's what you had when you were traveling in the desert for uh, 40 years, <laughs> is uh, you had your arm. <laughs> so there you go. Um, but anyway, let's dive into it. Uh, verse one. Uh, Solomon also made a bronze altar 30 feet long and 30 feet wide and 15 feet deep. Then he cast a great round basin 15 feet across from rim to rim called the sea. It was seven and a half feet deep and about 45 feet in circumference. It was encircled just below its rim by two rows of figures that resembled oxen. Then uh, there were about six oxen per foot all the way around, and they were cast as part of the basin. The sea was placed on a base of 12 bronze oxen, all facing outward, three faced north, three faced west, three faced south, and three faced east. And the sea rested on them. The walls of the sea were about three inches thick, and it rimmed, uh, and its rim flared out like a cup and resembled a water lily blossom. It could hold about 16,500 gallons of water. Uh, he also made 10 smaller basins uh, for washing the utensils of the burnt offerings. He uh, set five on the south side and five on the north side, but the priest washed themselves in the sea. When he cast, excuse me, and then he cast 10 gold lampstands according to the specifications that had been given, and he put them in the temple. Five were placed against the south wall and five were placed against the north wall. He also built 10 ta- um, tables and placed them in the temple, five along the south wall and five along the north wall. Then he molded 100 golden basins. He then built a courtyard for the priests and also uh, the large outer courtyard. He made doors for the courtyard and, uh, entrances and overlaid them with bronze. The great bronze basin called the sea was placed near the southeast corner of the temple. Uh, Hiram Abi, uh, remember him from two chapters ago that came in. Hiram Abi also made the necessary uh, wash basin, shovels, and bowls. Um, so at last, Hiram, <coughs> Hiram Abi uh, completed everything King Solomon had assigned to him to make for the temple of God. 
the two pillars, the two bowls shaped capitals on top of the pillars, the two networks of interwoven chains that decorated the capitals, the 400 pomegranates that hung from the chains on the capitals, two rows of pomegranates for each of the chain networks that decorated the capitals on top of the pillars. The two water carts uh, holding the basins, the sea and the 12 oxen under it, the ash buckets, the shovels, the meat hooks, and all the related articles. Hiram Abi made all of these things of burnished bronze for the temple of the Lord, just as King Solomon had directed. The king had them cast in clay molds in the Jordan Valley between Sukkoth and Zarethan. Solomon used such great quantities of bronze that its weight could not be determined. Solomon also made all the furnishings for the temple of God, the golden altar, the table uh, of the bread of the presence, the lamp stands in there, uh, lamps of solid gold to burn in front of the most holy place as prescribed, the flower decorations, lamps and tongs, all of the purest gold, the lamp snuffers, uh, bowls, ladles, and incense burners, all of solid gold, the doors for the entrance of the most holy place in the main room of the temple overlaid with gold. The word of the Lord. A lot of specifications, a lot of preparations, a lot of uh, basically uh, just if you remember back on all of the different uh, areas that uh, the tabernacle was prescribed, uh, if you want a good reference, that's all the way back into Exodus uh, chapters like 24 to almost 30, uh, there's so much about how the tabernacle, um, all the different pieces, the lampstands, the tables of, uh, of showbread or the tables of presence, um, uh, either one. The, uh, the basin where the priest would wash themselves was none of this was near the size of what is being done for uh, Solomon's temple here. All of these are on uh, a 10 times or even greater scale uh, compared to all of the items that were originally prescribed. Now, uh, a lot of the original specifications from the tabernacle were adhered to uh, just at a greater scale, right? The uh, ridiculously large barbecue pit, right? That's basically what the uh, altar was. Uh, was probably every barbecuer's dream uh, is to have a barbecue pit 30 feet by 30 feet. We could throw down. That is Texas size. <laughs> like that is, um, that is no joke. Okay. But when we read the amount of sacrificial offerings that were given uh, to now accommodate the whole nation of Israel uh, and even some of the festives, and uh, we're going to read in the next chapter when they basically had the grand opening ceremony, the amount of animals that were sacrificed was at a ridiculous scale. It, it would give every member of PETA a heart attack. Let's put it that way. <laughs> um, it, it's just, it's, it's absolutely insane, uh, the numbers. It just makes, uh, to our eyes, and probably even uh, nowadays, uh, cattle ranchers and farmers, probably a heart attack thinking that much uh, cattle was given up sacrificially uh, right in one day. Um, 
And so those numbers are, are staggering. But in a, to put it in a more context, how many farmers do you know today? Versus how many of everyone else then was basically a farmer or a rancher uh, back then? Basically, almost everybody had to hold on to livestock. Uh, And that was the primary means of so many people's like livelihood. So livestock was a lot more plentiful back then uh, to be able to do this. So um, those numbers, though very staggering, and yes, they still are. they were easily accomplished because of how many people actually had to raise cattle, uh, had to uh, raise um, lambs, uh, beef, bulls, all of it. Um, and on top of it, the temple itself had grounds for itself to have all of these animals as well. Um, so we're going to kind of go through some of these things, uh, but I want us to understand in all of these areas. And, and, and I want to weave all of this in here, that Jesus fulfilled every bit of this. Jesus is either represented or fulfilled uh, all of this, the sacrificial system. We, um, we now don't need a 30 by 30 altar because the sacrifice that is needed has been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. The um, when we look at the, the basin where priests had to wash themselves is that we understand uh, when we look at Hebrews uh, in chapter seven, how Jesus, it's said that Jesus is our high priest. He was initially cleansed just in the same order uh, as priests would normally do when a, a sacrifice was to be done, that the priest had to cleanse themselves. And then on top of it, they had to provide a burnt offering for their own sins before being able to take on the priestly duty and sins of the rest of the nation. Jesus did this perfectly in his life. One, he is no sin. He committed no sin at all, but he was still washed clean in his baptism by John the Baptist in the River Jordan. A much greater and always flowing a body of water than even this massive uh, bowl uh, of 16 plus thousand gallons of water. Uh, Jesus uh, fulfilled that. And guess what? He didn't have to do it again because he remained sinless completely. Uh, He was then put on the cross as our offering, as our uh, sacrificial lamb of God. And so there is no sacrifice. There is no amount of sacrifice that could come close to even equaling and never outdoing the immense sacrifice of the sinless Lamb of God that came and hung on that cross. We see so much of other semblance uh, in here that it's looked... Uh, on just the grand scale of this, uh, it's just immense. The sea itself was just this massive, beautiful bowl of water um, that the priest would have to, I mean, the priest could jump in and swim in this thing. Now, hopefully they didn't. 
hopefully there's always one right and and, and whenever like there's any there's always that one but it, i don't believe he's ever talked about in here thank god <laughs> but they had to cleanse themselves um we can look back and that's what aaron uh and his sons had to do originally uh to uh, sanctify themselves um uh, when they were officially firstly ordained uh, this is what every priest had to do to wash themselves, their hands and feet primarily. What semblance is that when we are also called to be the hands and feet of Jesus through our walk? So how often are we washing ourselves? And here's the wonderful thing. We don't need to come to a bowl, a giant basin. And now I hope you're doing hygiene. but. We don't need to do this in a ritualistic way to say that for me to operate today, that I have to go ritually wash my hands and feet uh, in a religious manner. We are washed clean from head to toe by the blood of Christ. Our faith in him alone washes us clean by his sacrifice, by his blood, by his stripes, we are healed. And so that we don't have to do this anymore. And that's one of the beauties of this is as magnificent that this sounds as from uh, engineering and architectural uh, and, and artist like way. This is magnificent. This is amazing. Uh, there's been nothing like this ever built all of these items and the temple of Solomon was just known as one of the amazing wonders of the world that unfortunately we don't have, but the need for it is gone. The need for all of this is wiped away and has been fulfilled in such perfect harmony through Jesus Christ. And so that's all of this points to him. All of this points to what he's already accomplished today. It already points to everything that we should be thankful for, that we don't have to come uh, to the altar and offer up animals. We don't have to do any of that. We just need to have faith. Faith that uh, renews our mind. Faith that changes our lives, faith that exudes and reflects the light of Jesus Christ into this world, faith that continues to grow, hence why Jesus used the illustration of a mustard seed and not a grain of sand, because our faith grows, and may it continue to grow in our walk, in our obedience, in our worship, and in our fellowship with him. And so we see also these under, other beautiful illustrations of uh, instead of one lampstand, we now have 10. <laughs> instead of one table of showbread or table of uh, bread of presence, we have 10 of these. And so the, um, the specifications for the table are in Exodus 25, uh, Verses 23 through 30, and the lampstand uh, specifications are in Exodus 25, 31 to 40 uh, for all of these. And it's beautiful on how it's all designed and uh, all of the gold on the lampstand and the table. But here's the big significance. 
is the table in general, whether there's one or 10, the symbolism of what all of this is for is to show how God wants to have fellowship with his people. That's the whole point of it. The table's there to show that God wants to sit at the table with us and break bread. If you're a Christ follower for some time, there's probably some semblance. There's probably some imagery. There's probably some stories that are already coming to mind when I tell you God wants to sit at a table with you and break bread. We start all the way back to where God was with Israel for 40 years in the desert, uh, wandering throughout and every day, except Sunday, but twice on Saturday, for the exception on Sunday, he had manna for everyone. Every morning, uh, Monday through Saturday, there would be manna given by God all over the ground like dew. And it was their responsibility to go gather that up. And that would be enough for them for only that day. Saturday, there would be a double portion for uh, the Sunday or for otherwise the day before the Sabbath. Uh, and therefore on the Sabbath, you already had enough from the day earlier. Um, but God provides. God provides his bread because he wants to show you that he's in a relationship with us. It started all the way since the beginning. God always wants to be in relationship with us. He wants to be in relationship with Adam and Eve all the way up to us right now and continuing forevermore. That's his whole idea. And so we see the bread being given there. And then now uh, we see the bread in the tabernacle in, in there. And it's, it's bread that has no leaven. This is a key factor that there is no leaven in this bread. Manna had no leaven. Uh, the, uh, the bread or the cakes that sometimes if in certain Bibles, it would say the cakes that it would be brought with no leaven, no pride. It wouldn't puff up. That's what, um, or otherwise yeast, right, is another kind of modern term of putting it. That yeast in the bread puffs it up and makes it that wonderful, uh, big, nice size that we love to have and all of that good stuff. But here, the symbolism is having no nothing that is going to puff you up. I just want you to come with no pride. And what does that mean? I need you to come with a humble heart. I want you to come to my table with a humble heart. I was thinking about this and there's a level of if I walk into a classroom when I was a student in high school, when I was a student in college, if I walked in with this heart that I knew it all already, you, there's nothing you can teach me. This is a waste. Uh, I came in with pride. I came in with arrogance. How much did you learn that day in that class? Nothing. You learned absolutely nothing except you wasted your time. You wasted the teacher's time and you wasted your time because of your prideful, arrogant heart. But if we come into the classroom, if we come to the table, if we come sitting at our Lord's feet with a humble heart and a, and a mind and a heart to learn the wonders God wants to show us, are endless. 
And so today at your table, are you coming with a humble heart? Yeah, maybe there's certain people that might be at our table that we're just like, welcome to family, welcome to uh, life. But maybe in our humble heart, this could be the holiday. This could be the dinner table. This could be the meal that starts making a change, not just in your heart, but in maybe a family member's heart that is far from Jesus. Maybe you can be the hands and feet of Jesus today at your table that finally starts the movement of that friend or family member that is far from Jesus today to start wondering, what's different about you? What's different about you? Do we come to our table arrogant because uh, we know the word? Or do we come humble because we want to see our teacher teach not us, but others? And we see this bread being um, continued on as Jesus sits at the Last Supper. And he then reveals the whole meaning of bread. From the manna to the showbread in the tabernacle to now the uh, bread in the temple on not only um, one, but now 10 tables, the bread given, the bread that wants fellowship, the bread, it's Jesus's body. As we learn in communion, it was always his body. It was always himself that he's willing to give of himself so that he could have fellowship and communion with us so that we could sit at the table and he's willing to be able to share the bread. You have to break it and to be able to have fellowship. And we always look at and God always talks about having fellowship and uh, coming together and eating together, coming together and loving with one another over a meal. There's just something that warms the heart when you have a meal together. There's some level of whenever you're able to sit down and have a meal together that hearts are warmed, uh, you know, ambition or not ambition, but like uh, defenses are kind of put down a little bit. You come in more of a uh, better posture and uh, a better mindset. Um, uh, you know, it gets rid of anybody that possibly is like hangry. <laughs> it gets rid of all of that. And it just brings in this uh, level that people are more willing to talk and converse and just have better conversation than if we came in with hostilities. You know, there's always that joke of the fastest way to a man's heart is through his stomach. Um, but I don't think that that's just men. I think it's people in general. And so coming together and being able to sit at a table and fellowship, breaking bread, filling our stomachs, and having good, honest, humble communication brings people together. And it brings us closer to God. When we understand the semblance of all of this and uh, the, the spiritual lessons here is that Christ wanted to break that bread, that bread with no yeast, that bread with no pride. Just as God asks us to come humbly at his table, 
he came humbly. He came humbly as we're about to even portray in our Christmas story. Not as some baby that was born in a palace, not some baby that was um, born in such high honor that the world would see. But he was born in such humble honor that only shepherds and wise men could see. And so we see this humble nature that not only our God asks of us, but that he's demonstrated himself. That he's come himself in such a humble manner to not only break bread with us, but to break his body for us. So I pray this Thanksgiving. we remember that and be ultimately thankful that we get to have such a humble, teaching, loving, grace-filled relationship with our Lord Jesus. As though we see all of the preparation that Solomon's putting in, what he hopefully understands and hopefully was able to get that all of this pointed to the coming Messiah hundreds and hundreds of years later, that this is a way of preparing and understanding what God's trying to do through all of us. And so that we all can come at his table so that we can all sit there in humility and learn. And so that he can be our good father and teach us so that we can have a great Thanksgiving with him. There's so much in here uh, in how God just wants to have fellowship. And that's ultimately what today is, is have that beautiful fellowship. So today I just pray that whatever the pride and arrogance is in our hearts that we put it down and we just we walk in humility today we uh, we just think of all the things that we're thankful for but ultimately remind ourselves of that we're so thankful that a god that not only created us but loves us so much that he gave his only son for us and so let's pray and let's have a great Thanksgiving today. Let's pray. Father, today as we, um, as we come together on uh, this beautiful Thanksgiving, as we come uh, with our friends and our family, wherever that may be, maybe we're even uh, eating alone, but we're not alone because we at least have you, Lord. We always have you in our presence. We always have you watching over us. We always have you. Uh, just wanting to sit down and fellowship with us, Lord. So no matter what goes on, no matter what we're um, having today, maybe uh, maybe you've got some special recipe or whatever it is, but Lord, whatever uh, we come to the table with, maybe we just ultimately come with humility. 
May we just come wanting to learn from you. Maybe we come wanting to hear from you, Lord. So I pray in our own time today uh, that as we not only journey through your word, but we journey in your presence and that we just open our ears up to what you have for us today. Have for us and how we can be your hands and your feet today for even others, maybe in our friends and our family circle. Father, I just thank you for always just willing to lay down your bread, your body for us. Thank you that you are that perfect sacrifice that has ended all of this so that we can have an ultimate relationship with you. And that this temple is no longer needed because we are your temple as your Holy Spirit resides in our hearts. Lord, may we not lose sight of that. May we tap into that and may we have a filling of your Holy Spirit today. Lord, we just thank you for all that you do. We just pray that you continue to give us wisdom and guidance as we go about not only today, but the rest of our year. And we pray all this in your mighty name, Jesus. Amen and amen. Have a happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Uh, I hope everything goes well. Your food is cooked perfectly and your conversations are blessed. Have a good one. Take care. God bless. See you next time.